I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 74. I don't know if that's true. That sounds right to me, though, because I haven't said 74 before, unless I have, and I've forgotten. Like, ever? I don't think so. This is the first time. Wow. Banner day. I know. Took me 30 years to get here, and uh, you know what? It's kind of a letdown, hmm. ultimately. I'll but uh, to it. I wanted to first apologize. Uh, that's my uh, co-host, Josh Long. He's here. Hello. Saying hello to everyone. I know. Being friendly. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm fine. Okay. Camp is great. (laughs) For some reason, that sounded like a letter I was writing to my parents. (laughs) Um, Sure is hot here. Uh, (laughs) So, I wanted to first off say, uh, to apologize, this episode is, by the time it gets posted, it's going to be about a week late. Um, A combination of things happened, holiday plans, and also we have a guest uh, today that we will get to in a moment. He's not allowed to talk yet. Um, you love that power, don't you? I do. <laughs> it's all I have. Mad it's all power. I have. Um, oh, can you just imagine if I win that podcast award? Oh, man. So I try not to. And I know that I say I, but it's yours as well. But come on. Yeah, I, I, there's, you're not going to let me touch that thing. Not at all. Never. But uh, so... Uh, so yeah, we we are off track now as a function of the holidays, and then a function of people's schedules and trying to work out uh, trying to work out today. So uh, I'm sorry that there was no episode for you uh, last week. I guess at this point, um, we will try to make up for it by having the next episode be a week from today, as of which is to say the the day of posting. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I know it'll be Christmas time and you probably won't have the <laughs> have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, but it'll be there if you want it. Uh, a couple of announcements real quick. Um, so on the website, uh, I've, I've put this in the, uh, in the blog, but in case you haven't seen it, um, I was recently on a podcast called Q the Day, hosted by Jim Rohner, who's one of our uh, bloggers. Uh, now, when I say recently, I mean months ago, but uh, it only recently got posted because they were having some technical troubles there. Uh, so you'll hear me make reference to movies that I saw. You know, it's like, why does he still care about Dark Knight Rises? You know, months after it came out, because I had just seen it. So, uh, so you can find that uh, a link to that at more than one lesson dot com. And, and what's uh, what's the show? Cue the day. Cue the day. It's uh, it's a it's a movie discussion show and television, but it, it the idea is it it encompasses all the all forms of new media that could be Hulu Plus, Netflix, HBO Go, Amazon. Pretty much everywhere, almost everywhere, streaming that you can find stuff, and uh, that way, if you if we talk about a movie that uh, that you enjoy uh, that sounds good, you have access to it right, right away. Perfect. 
So, um, so you can find that at more than one lesson dot com. Uh, there is the. I mentioned, I think, in the last episode, a series on The Walking Dead that Travis Fishburne, our other blogger, has been writing. Uh, it's, at this point, it's not so much a series. There's just two blog posts about it. So if you've been watching it, uh, if you've been watching the, this season of The Walking Dead, you can, uh, you know, check in and see what, what he has to say about it. I think he has some very interesting uh, insights into the series. And they are taking, like, I think, a mid-season break. And then when they come back, he will continue writing about it. So, uh, And then lastly, and... I would say, I guess not most importantly, but it's important to me. Uh, there is a survey for listeners. Uh, it's at the very top of the page. It's on the right-hand side. It just says, take the survey, click on that. Uh, and it just asks you, you know, who, who's been your favorite guest so far? What has been your favorite episode? And asks a, 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 bit, a few things about, like, how you engage with this show, what you listen to. Uh, what you don't listen to that sort of thing um and that helps that helps us um like we're not going to be making any major changes but when it comes to stuff like the minisodes and maybe slight changes in format it helps us uh to know how to move forward so uh i think that is about it so uh i will at this point welcome in well, maybe not welcome but i'll acknowledge that he's here uh we have a guest who is also uh a, a new blogger uh, at morethanonelesson.com. He's written, you know what, it's, I love it. I bring him on. He's enthusiastic. Uh, enthusiastic. He, uh, he's already, like, right out of the gate, three articles. I love it. Well, not right he out couldn't of the gate. Wait. I mean, it was over the last few weeks, but still, you know. Uh, uh, Internet-wise, that's right out of the gate. More than one lesson wise, that is right out of the <laughs> gate. That is a bullet out of a gun. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so he's already written uh, three things. His name is uh, Reed Lackey. And uh, so you can. Now, Reed, what have you written about so far? I don't recall. Uh, my first one was It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, I wrote about flight. And then uh, I wrote most recently about How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That's right, yes. So that's three already uh, Jim, Travis. Other Tyler, Josh, me. Let's all get. Let's all get with the program here. Um, <laughs> well, I just. I, I really love the sound of my own voice, and since I can't hear myself all the there time, I prefer the look of my own voice on page. <laughs> you so, are gonna, man. You are gonna love this episode. <laughs> uh, it's gonna put me to sleep at night. I'm just gonna listen to it over and over again as I just. It's comforting. So. Oh my. Ugh. Um, I just. Uh, you know what I. People on on uh, I've said it before, but it's been a while on iTunes. Early on, when it was just me by myself, they'd be like, uh, "Tyler Smith has a very good voice, but a warning to sleepy listeners: it's very soothing." And she's like, "Are you saying I'm putting you to sleep? <laughs> like, I'd rather have kind of a slightly tinny voice that keeps you awake and attentive than puts you to sleep. I'd much rather sound like Fran Drescher than be your cure for insomnia. Absolutely, <laughs> please. No, should, I, I don't want to be anybody's Bob Ross. You should have an. <laughs> you should have another podcast where you just tell like very calming stories, like in case people want to go to there sleep. Once was a little boy. Yeah, oh, that and sounds he great. wanted a dog for Christmas, <laughs> and he got that dog. The end. Oh, man. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Thank so, you. I'll have Reed write the stories. I don't have time to write <laughs> So, um, okay. So, uh, he's here. Reed Lackey. How you doing there, Reed? I'm, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm very, very glad to be here. Glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank I'm you guys for listening. I'm honored. Okay. genuinely honored. Genuinely honored. Yes. Not right. that fake honored that you have to say because otherwise they'll 
you know, do nasty things to your car. I am yeah. sincerely honored to be here. So that's, the kind of honor that Josh feels Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Just, you know, I'm very honored. I do the air quotes every time. Too. I know. I'm like... I see them. I don't know if you know that, but I, I do. You can see them over the over the internet. It's, it's, it's very so obvious. emphatic in your yeah. voice that I I can tell. I'm painting a picture with my words. It's true. Uh, it's theater of the mind, right there. <laughs> so uh, okay. So Reed, I'm not even sure totally how to start. If it, it maybe just start right from the beginning, or maybe give a little bit of introduction sure. uh, to you before we go back back to the beginning. Oh, the beginning. That's right. I was born so, at an early age. And that's a really old joke. That's yeah. Why don't Terribly you get off the old show? joke. <laughs> right, I don't. Uh, I don't cotton to that sort of thing. So um, I like it. That reminds me of the Marx Brothers. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. There's a good one where Groucho says, "When were you born?" And Chico says, "I can't remember. I was just a little baby." <laughs> Except he does it in the fake Italian accent. That's the way I hear it in my head. Right. Absolutely. I hear everything. You in hear that everything accent. in that. Well, you are part Italian, so. So, uh, so Reed, who are you, real quick? Uh, like, what are you doing out here? What are you doing on the show? That's what I <laughs> oh, wow. want. To know. Um, well, in theory, I should know, and yet I'm I am in a loss. I'm quite flabbergasted myself. No, I, I've I've been a listener, a lessener, uh, for quite a long time. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, actually, I think I told you that my my, my first uh, encounter with the podcast was when White Ribbon was a new episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've been a big fan for that entire time. Um, and uh, just uh, recently, particularly with the with the episodes uh, on Cabin in the Woods and the Mist, um, really just felt compelled that I wanted to to tell you, reach out to you, and tell you how much I enjoy this podcast and and how much I appreciate what you guys are doing. And uh, and then from there we had lunch and and mm-hmm. I had a wonderful time, enjoyed the conversation. Oh. And um, and so then you know in that time, uh, much to my surprise and delight, you you after hearing a little bit more about me, wanted to uh, to have me on the show. So that's I, I think what I'm what I'm doing here. But uh, here's the thing: so far you've just described a really complimentary listener. And uh, listeners, if you write nice things. To me that does not guarantee you a spot on the show <laughs> uh but that's fine uh it's not merely that uh, that i enjoyed our our lunch though i did but it was also that your story here in los angeles and in hollywood and in the in the filmmaking community is something yep. that i find very fascinating uh Thank you, you are a uh, a writer a screenwriter uh, yes. primarily but then you uh told me recently they're Trying to branch out into other areas, right? Like yes. Short stories. And um, such. I've I've really been specific. I've been told one of the criticisms I've received to the scripts that I write, though I, I do occasionally get uh, opportunities to continue script writing. Uh, one of the critiques that I've been given is that my writing style presently is is more suited for prose, mm-hmm. and I've heard that from professionals who make big salaries, and I've heard that from amateurs who are trying to get in the business, but I've heard it consistently. So um, while uh, script is still sort of in me, and I take every opportunity I can, I've been branching out recently trying to, to write short stories and mm-hmm. trying to uh, just maybe try my hand at, at a little bit more long-form prose, and uh, and right now I'm loving it. I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm still kind of getting my sea legs with it, and if I if I get enough uh, stories under my belt that I think are good, I'll start trying to you know just to see if they get sold, and and just try to do that freelance writer thing that I know so many other people are trying to do. And if anyone wants to have an idea, sort of of what you 
the sort of things that you like to write? Do you have any particular influences, any writers that you, you yeah, like? Um, my two biggest ones, my two favorite writers, uh, and they, they duke it out for who gets first place, are Ray Bradbury, who, mm-hmm. who recently passed away, and then uh, Stephen King. Um, those, those are my two biggest influences. That having been said, uh, I don't write a great deal of horrific stories. I write a lot more sort of imaginative stories that would have a suspense element to them, okay. uh, which is kind of more in the Bradbury camp. Uh, the, 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 I would say that I imitate him uh, right now in terms of what I'm going for with, with my writing style. Um, but, uh, but those are my two sort of chief uh, go-tos as far as, like, I would love to write in this vein. Very, very close on their heels, but I've only recently become enamored with his work as one Charles Dickens. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it's embarrassing to say that I've only recently read any of his stuff, but the first couple of things that I read I was just so taken with that, you know, I'm just absorbing everything. So those three are, are who I try to emulate. The only thing of, of Dickens that I've read is A, a Christmas Carol, oddly enough. That and, was the only thing I had read for and, the longest time. And I, by that time, I had I've seen like I've seen like theat- like uh, plays of oh, it. Yeah. I've seen multiple movies of it, and so you think you know what it is going in. And so by the time I read it, um, I was I was so familiar with the story. The part of me was like, this is not going to be you know right. Like I, I get it, mm-hmm. but what you don't get is his narrative style. Oh, it's so and great. Wh- the thing like early on, like I think within the first few paragraphs when he's talking about. Uh, Marley being dead, right. as dead as a doornail, and then he goes in this weird tangential thing that is remarkably modern. Oh yeah, about there's nothing particularly deader about a doornail than any other type of nail. Right, and I'm just like, this is the kind of conversation I'd be having with my dumb friends, yeah. like to make ourselves laugh. Absolutely, and, and that like, and that like uh, a very meta type of writer now would would do and he was doing it then in the midst of this uh oh yeah this christmas tale and so i uh i remember that really striking me and then throughout i just i thought he just has a it's a very it's a very beautiful ornate style of writing but one that is surprisingly meat and potatoes if that makes any it sense it really is there's mm-hmm. a lot of depth to his work one of the things you know and 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 uh, I'll, I'll be brief about this but one of the things i love so much about his writing that he shares in common with Stephen King, of all things, is they both treat their stories as if they are exactly as you described them, as if he's sitting at the table yeah. telling you a story. Mm-hmm. So he'll do little asides. He's always breaking the the fourth wall, if there is a fourth wall with books, and, and he's always going into uh, side comments. But what that does, at least for me, and I think for most of his fans, is it engages you and makes you become like a part of the story, which is mm-hmm. really, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're interested in reading anything else, uh, Tale of Two Cities, I was absolutely obsessed obsessed with that's uh, that's my favorite of his and i've only uh, read three or maybe three but yeah tale of two cities is a is an absolutely beautiful book mm-hmm. um and and when i got to the two-thirds mark because i hear complaints that some people can't finish it the hmm. two-thirds mark has what i emotionally describe as a as as a slingshot that just pulls back at the two-thirds mark i read the first two-thirds of the book in about two weeks read the last third in two days. I could not put it down mm-hmm. once that once that turn happens at the two-thirds mark. Yeah. And what I hope to do in all of my writing is something of that nature. Like, I love when connections are made and things kind of come together or twists that you that you aren't quite aware of or that you maybe didn't pick up on, which is what I've tried to do in my writing. It's what I tried to do in in uh, in the professional item that I that I did, which I think you'll you'll probably mention later. Um, but uh, 
that's something that I really enjoy about fiction or about movies is when they can when they can surprise me when any movie or book or story surprises me then I'm I'm on board now you're now you're in the A list I'm like oh that's great I, <laughs> I genuinely didn't see that coming and I'm very happy so uh, so and you mentioned the the professional item and we'll we'll get to that and uh, uh, you know what I'll get to it now so um, so you mentioned that you're you're moving more towards stories and, and prose, but uh, you you know did write scripts, and one of yeah. your scripts was made into a film, albeit a low-budget film, but yes. uh, it was made into a film called The Victim, mm-hmm. which uh, we will be going into more detail about uh, a little bit later, uh, but uh, at the moment, we'll just say that it's a, a low-budget bi- low film. Uh, like suspense uh, story, would you say? I'd describe it as, as intending to be a, a, a tight suspense thriller. Yeah. Right. And it does have, uh, the film itself has very uh, grindhouse sensibilities to yes, it. Yes, in both in its budget and attempting in its execution. It's, yeah. it's very much trying to be that, that traditional grindhouse kind of film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the more notable things about the film uh, is that actor Michael Bean, who you people have seen in... Uh, in you know the art of war and i guess also technically the terminator <laughs> and uh aliens and the abyss now what's this terminator movie i, I don't know heard of some, it. the name rings a bell it's something it's about, about like a, a killer robot or something that sounds pretty cheesy i don't think i like that <laughs> that's robocop it's like a horror version of wally that's <laughs> you've got it right there i found wally to be terrifying so now you know i, don't, <laughs> I thought wally was a prequel to terminator i thought <laughs> in in a world <laughs> So, um, yeah, so he actually uh, directed the film and yes. stars in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess, uh, you know, after you started writing it, after you wrote it, uh, he added to the film as well. Yes. So, and yeah. he was in he was in uh, Planet Terror, which is Robert Rodriguez grindhouse, right. his half of the, the large grindhouse hmm. opus mm-hmm. uh, actually that he and Tarantino made. I didn't see Planet. I didn't see Planet Terror. I saw. The other one. Oh, you uh, saw the one I don't uh, like. Death Proof. Oh, Death yeah. Proof, yeah. I don't care for Death Proof, but I enjoy Planet Terror quite a bit. I feel like Planet Terror gets it more than Death Proof does. I completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Could be. I don't know. To me, to me, Death Proof seems like one of those because I feel like the structure doesn't work at all. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it might be that in a way that he wasn't intending at maybe, all. Maybe so. I, I like to think that he intended it that way, that they, that they were like, this is going to be about one stunt. This movie is about a girl tied to the front of a car for a little while driving yeah. around. Yeah. Anything else is, is just full throw some blood in there, a couple parts. That, good, that's a good all. performance by Kurt Russell. I like him a lot in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I'll, they're not going for that. Even the, no, even the no. performances in a movie no, like that—it's incidental. Yeah, no question about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, we've got a girl yeah. tied to the front of a car driving sixty miles an hour. But Do you plan- want to see that? Come see, come see Death Proof. But Planet Terror is everything that a grindhouse movie should be. Whether you like that or not, it is that. It I completely is, agree. It's yeah. garish and disgusting, and it's mm-hmm. you know good fun performances in there as well. Josh Brolin, I like him a lot as uh, Doc Block. So. <laughs> But yeah, uh, anyway, moving on. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk more about the victim later because that is uh, no no offense. Like that is one of the, your story about the making of that film and your involvement with that film is why uh, we wanted to have you on the show. But uh, but let's go back. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. The beginning. Uh, to the beginning. So, you beat me to it. I'm sorry. In a world. There's a reason I'm the, there's a reason I'm the primary. There's a reason. Of this show. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Reed, where are you from? 
I'm originally from North Carolina. Uh, I grew up around the suburbs of Charlotte. Um, never actually in Charlotte proper, but just just kind of generally. We moved around uh, quite a bit when I was younger. Um, and uh, I moved to California when I was 22. Uh, but all the while I was in North Carolina, I, I, I grew up in a very conservative home. My grandfather was a preacher. My father was a preacher. Um, and uh, he was a preacher for as far back as I can remember. And he became a pastor when I was 12. So I always kind of had uh, that culture and climate to inform my my formative years. Uh, my mother, in fact, worked as an administrative assistant in the denomination that we belonged to. So mm-hmm. virtually every circle I moved in, other than school, I went to public school, um, every circle I moved in had some religious tone or tint to it. It was incredibly conservative. My parents were uh, not as conservative as some of their contemporaries, but still would be considered quite conservative, especially by most of the standards of, of my friends and colleagues now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, that that was something that when I was very young uh, was just the way it was. Uh, and then it wasn't until, as it is I'm sure with most people that I got older, that I began to come into my own acceptance of faith and mm-hmm. uh, begin to take on uh, my own uh, way to to live out what I what I deeply believe, which is actually uh, not a lot of it is in contrast, like theologically, with what my parents believe. But there's some you know fine tuning details that we sometimes you know get into uh, different discussions about. But um, but yeah, it was it was a pretty conservative household. It was funny because we uh, I, I, I'm assuming that your listeners might might want to hear this the 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 way that movies were perceived in in our household was we actually absolutely adored movies we had these little fun parties uh we weren't we weren't terribly well off um there were many people who were worse off than us but um many many people who were better off one of the treats for us was to get to pop a big bowl of popcorn and sit down and watch a movie together as a family that was as far back as i can remember two three years old uh we still kind of carried that tradition my wife and i want to carry that tradition on with with our family and our son as well um but that having been said Especially because of the climate and the culture, uh, it was a very uh, – it was a Pentecostal culture, uh, sort of a more charismatic way of living. And at the time that I was growing up, there was something called the, the holiness living movement, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, really I can sum that up by saying that it was uh, a kind of a, an attempt to make all of your social interactions and your outward appearances um, as clean and above reproach was the constant – you know, byword as possible. Let me um, ask you this, and I apologize. This is going to sound pretty glib, and yet I can't stop myself. <sighs> um, but it is a, it is a legit question. Did this involve, as it did for a lot of people that I know, um, as I've said to listeners before, I feel like I really did dodge a bullet with the parents that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of my friends, not so much. Uh, the a certain insistence uh, on. Burning secular CDs or throwing them away, breaking them uh, as a almost as a symbol of like, oh well, I had these. Like, well, my son's not going to have this. Or the kid arrives at at it at that on his own, his or her own, as a function of their youth group, and and like it's a symbol of I'm rejecting secular culture. I'm going to be holy. Uh, yes. It, did it involve anything like that? Was there a, tr- a tremendous pressure? put on you and and others uh i would say this here's as objective as i can be about it and still be honest uh that that i can look back on that childhood and think that my parents tried 
to strike a good balance. Mm-hmm. They tried very hard. They did not always succeed um, because they're, I'm sure they felt a great deal of pressure of we don't want our son listening to certain things. We don't want our son watching certain things. Um, but I, I can remember many instances where they, they did sort of take a laissez-faire like – He's 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 a good boy, and you know he understands uh, these kind of things. So so we'll let him make his own decisions. But there was a, a tremendous amount of of uh, influence. I'll say this: they never asked me to burn any CDs or trash anything. People who had dinner at our house did ask their kids to do that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of always around yeah. in the ether. And for me, uh, specifically with movies, I never had the problem with books. And because of my exposure to it, it's actually very odd, but I've always had older tastes when it comes to to music. I've never actually liked a lot of the more rebellious music that a lot of my peers kind of got into. I was a... This is going to sound fabricated, but I was a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan at twelve. I loved <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel at twelve. My parents were thrilled. You know, like I asked for you know the complete collected works of Simon and Garfunkel. They're like, absolutely, yes, <laughs> yes you may, yes you may. You know, and uh, and so I just I liked oldies and I liked stuff like that. So I never went into that with with music, but with movies, it was trickier because um, there were multiple movies that I can think of that created. Um, I'll call them awkward moments in our home where we sat down to watch a movie and its content uh for whatever reason reached a a level that my parents weren't comfortable with there was again trying to be objective and still honest there was sometimes a bit too dramatic of a turn this off this movie is bad kind of moment that that sometimes happened um uh, i can name a you know a couple of specific movies like uh who framed roger rabbit Pushed the button. Um, uh, Kindergarten Cop pushed the button. Hmm. Um, the the big one, uh, which may be a bit more understandable, uh, was uh, f- I, I got all good grades on my report card, and, and uh, my family unknowingly bought me Forrest Gump as a reward. But we sat down to watch Forrest Gump, and there's a lot of stuff that my parents got that I didn't get mm-hmm. uh, very early on that was like, uh, we need to turn this off. This is terrible. Now, now... I'm not saying that that parents shouldn't be discerning about those kind of things. I think they absolutely should be. But one of the things that that happened to me very early on is I began to see the the quality of a movie based almost exclusively on the cleanliness of its content, mm-hmm. as opposed to the power of the performances, what the movie was actually about, uh, and uh, it was all based on. Well, this one doesn't have any bad words. It's a good movie, or yeah. this, you know, this one doesn't have any any uh, you know naked women or anything like that. This is a good movie, and uh, that was kind of the dividing line for me until I became a teenager. About that twelve, thirteen mark, um, that's just always what I thought. Now, the good thing about that was I learned very quickly uh, that movies made like prior to the nineteen sixty mark were completely squeaky clean. So the one thing that I'm actually grateful for for that time is very early on I developed an affinity for older films. So mm-hmm. um, that stayed with me. And uh, and I'm actually, in a bizarre way, kind of grateful for that because I just knew, uh, you know, hey, my parents will let me watch TV if I watch Nick at Night, and they'll let me, you know, rent all these Jimmy Stewart movies, and they'll let me do, you know, all of this. So I fell in love with, like, the movies of Hitchcock and, and stuff like that. So, so you know, that, that uh, was an element of it, but it wasn't until... I became a teenager that began to engage movies differently on on more of of the level of what is this movie about? What is it trying to say? It's going to sound ridiculous, but the first movie I can remember doing that with is none other than A Time to Kill. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's that's yeah. Uh, 
that came out I don't think the same year as Sleepers but that's the same time in my life in the life of people my age uh, what when when was that exactly Gosh, no, I Sleepers was I think 96 Time to Kill was I think 94 95 I want to say it was 94 right um, around there yeah, yeah because because I was I would have been like 13 14 and that's kind of what I remember when I remember things shifting mm-hmm. so I think it was like 94 and every once in a while not everyone probably once probably every year or two there is a movie that just it's just so full and just of things that are important yeah you know <laughs> yeah. and that sort of thing that just uh, like major things are happening and and so it, and that is viewed as like a good movie because like how could you say this isn't a good movie and I remember I saw I believe I was staying with my uh, I think my brother was living out of the house at the time no, no, he wasn't. But he and I wound up watching A Time to Kill. Yeah. Uh, I was probably a bit too young to, to see it because there's some pretty heavy stuff in there. But sure. nonetheless, like, I still, I was young enough and that was one of the movies where I was just like, this doesn't, I feel like I should care more. <laughs> and yet I don't. Um, that and just like, and just the, just the ham, ham handedness of the ending. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and his, and his little, uh, his closing his closing stuff, speech you know? right and uh since then i was thinking about this the other day since the uh, listeners i'm going to assume you've seen a time to kill uh so he uh this young black girl is raped and killed or just or just raped she's just raped okay but, well yeah. that's a load off though um <laughs> then really what's the big deal <laughs> so um and and it's by these two horrible racist uh, white guys in, right. in the South and all that. So, um, and they're probably going to get off. And it's no, no. I'm sorry. They were killed by her father. Her father laid in wait for them on the day of their trial yes. and executed them in cold yes. blood. Yeah, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. That's what I say. That is that made Samuel Jackson. I, I still protest that Samuel L. Jackson was in the ether, but. I hope they, uh, yeah, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. That made him Samuel L. Jackson. Well, that was the very, moment because it's a trailer line. It's and, and it made it was huge in the trailer. Absolutely, they, they really play that up. But um, but there's a scene where Matthew McConaughey, before he was Matthew McConaughey, it's right. one of the things that made him who he is. Before the Lincoln lawyer, I feel like he hasn't really done much between. Has he? I don't think so. What's a his name? A lot again? of Kate Hudson. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Matthew McCloud. Is it McCloud? McGonagall. McGonagall. I'm sorry. That's a character from from Harry Potter. Anyway, uh, but he gives his his, uh, statement and he describes the grisliness of this scene. Yeah. And uh, and he asks the jury to close their eyes and picture this. And then at the end he says, now imagine this girl is white. And here's the thing. The lines on the page are, they're fine. It's ham-fisted, but that's fine. But the way he, and he plays it kind of okay but the way it's treated in the film and then like it smash cut to like the the jury's faces and like you almost expect and this is like a joke that i have made in my head like if ever you're going to do like a parody of john grisham movies oh yeah um which is easy to do by the way <laughs> um have a moment like that and everyone on the vo- uh, on the uh, jury just starts vomiting they're just like oh the sorts oh, god everything i was totally okay with this happening until this oh good god and just like it's just so ridiculous and over the top <laughs> oh, yeah. but uh, and i remember thinking all of that at a fairly young age there's something about that movie that just is like 
what do you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bet you don't like this, do you? I, I plan to show it with my child as when he's thirteen. There you go. <laughs> but there are a lot of. But you know what? That's the thing. Not unlike Sleepers, which is another one that's that is really ham fisted and, yeah. and maudlin in its in its content. A lot of people, if you'll pardon me, a lot of people get tricked into yeah. thinking those movies are about it. They are as good as it gets. Absolutely. As far as drama. Absolutely. And it's just like, it's like, they're fine. Sleepers has a lot of really good performances in it. Sure. But, but ultimately, I think it, I think it actually sort of exploits the idea of uh, child molestation uh, yeah. for, uh, to sell a, pretty run-of-the-mill revenge story yeah but yeah anyway. i wasn't a huge fan of sleep did you ever see sleepers josh nope. do you ever see a time to kill nope wow. i've seen sleeper the woody allen film which that's I assume, the same I, I don't remember there being any child molestation in that movie i know must have been asleep but the orgasmatron was interesting <laughs> i've never seen sleeper that's pretty funny it's a very funny movie. but uh so okay so we'll we'll move forward a little bit um because that's you know it's it's odd that you bring up uh, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit in Kindergarten. Yeah, Club. I went yeah. and saw both those in the theater with my parents, and they were fine with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what, I was think, it, what was it about Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Well, was it the, Jessica Rabbit? Uh, no, it was actually the the baby smoking a cigar uh, huh. was was set at the first point, and I think once Jessica Rabbit showed up on the scene, then it was like oh, okay, no. Yeah. Um, but uh, and it's actually it's funny because when they tell the story, I can't. I actually don't have a memory of this, but when they tell the story, they actually uh, my parents have said that it was actually me who said this movie's bad we need to turn it off but it was for those reasons yeah um and uh and so it was funny because uh the 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 big thing was language my, my parents were yeah. very sensitive mm-hmm. to to foul language um and uh you know so any any number of particular words uh th- they were only allowed like like one or two and sometimes not even more than one and then th- that it was it. I, I, is it the sort of thing where like you'd hear one of the words and like you kind of out of the corner of your eye look at your parents and oh, like, absolutely. they stir a little bit and it's absolutely. like every time there's a new word it's a little bit more like oh, I, don't, I don't know. Oh this yeah. Is gonna make oh it. yeah. And the, and the air in the room just gets thicker. Yeah. And, and yeah. I was very very young. Too young to understand what some words meant mm-hmm. uh, when I declared that something was pissing me off. Oh wow. As yeah. a, and that's because I watched Ghostbusters. That kid, oh, that, wow. the kid at the beginning during the electric shock test is like the effect i'll tell you what the effect is it's pissing me off yeah okay and uh, and i said that i'm i was probably five or six oh, and my nice. parents were like whoa that's and immediately i was like oh huh okay i think that was the first instance of me being like oh i, I guess i guess i can't say something right. <laughs> so um yeah but yeah but at the same time my parents are showing me ghostbusters at age six <laughs> that's awesome that's how awesome they are that's absolutely awesome so, but uh Okay, so we'll we'll move on. So you started getting interested. I mean, you always liked movies. I think that's oh, something yeah. That, yeah. that we all have in common. Mm-hmm. Any, probably anybody that likes movies. Like nobody's like, you know, I saw like yeah, I could take or leave movies, but then at age nineteen, I decided I wanted to to devote my life to them. Like that never happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. My favorite thing uh, was watching movies. I assume Josh like yours as well. Regardless of what the movies were, mm. right? I loved going to see movies uh, and watching them, and like going to the video stores. Like my favorite thing. I had a <laughs> I had a strange emotional response uh, years ago when I went back to Taft, California, my hometown, and I walked into a uh, what at the time was a movie gallery, and now is probably a Chinese restaurant, but oh, yeah. it was a movie gallery, and I just wanted to see what was like in there. Uh, like on sale so i walk in and immediately i look around I'm like oh this wasn't always a movie gallery 
this used to be an independent video store, the first one I ever went to. Oh, wow. And I didn't think about it until I was there, and I just saw the layout and, like, the wire shelves and, and it stuff. it all comes back. And I got a little bit emotional standing in the middle of a movie gallery nice. with one employee there, by the way, and was like, um, I'm sorry. This is the and then I tried then I tried to explain it to her. I was like, "This is oh, the nice. first video store I ever went to." And then I was like, "Unless I'm willing to give her a whole biography, that's not going to help." And yeah. so then Plus, I just, some of those people don't care so much about that yeah. job. So she, that might be tantamount to going into a McDonald's, and be like, "I'm sorry, this is the first time I ate in a fast food restaurant. I was in this place." And they'd be like, <laughs> I, "That's who, okay. Who cares?" Fair uh, yeah, somebody aspiring to be a chef, they go into you know they they love McDonald's. <laughs> first first paid job to. was at a movie uh, a movie rental store. That was my first yeah. actual paid job. That was yeah. my dream job. My first paid oh. job was as assistant manager, which I should not have had. Wow! At a uh, at a pizza place <laughs> at a law uh, firm. Way to start it, yeah. yeah way really, to start at the top and work your way down. I mean, 150k a year. <laughs> <laughs> the place doesn't exist anymore. I really ran it into the ground. <laughs> I was there for six months, and then I got hired at the video update. Um, oh wow! But uh, but no, I, yeah, I was uh, I worked at uh, Little Caesars, and nice. I could not work at the video update because I had to be eighteen because they had porn in the back. And oh, then they actually wow. hired me while I was still seventeen because uh, I was so insistent, and they just said, "Okay, you just won't restock the back." Wow! So that was my dream job. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. My and I, I loved it. That, that was that. Pl- the place was run very poorly, so I I kind of had the run of the place. I could have like fifteen movies out at a time. Oh yes, <laughs> I had a similar thing that it was run much more effectively. But I could check out any movie I wanted for free, provided I brought it back my next shift. Hmm. So um, and if it was a new release, I had to bring it back the next day. But uh, I could check out any movie I wanted to for free. I just wandered the shelves. It just went one at a time and just saw everything I, I possibly could. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it was great. It yeah, was it was fantastic. a wonderful time in my life. Oh, my, my second paying job was working at a movie theater, which didn't have as many good perks because it was during the summer and it wasn't a particularly good summer. And the uh, only movies I can remember getting to see for free were AI and Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. I am so sorry. Yeah. Oh, wow. Didn't work out there so had well to for have me. been some better summer movies that. Year, well, right? you know, I think I may have already paid to see which oh, other ones okay. were. Also, you couldn't go to see them for free, ex- like only during the week. Like they wouldn't even let you go on Fridays and Saturdays. Oh. Which- I worked at a movie theater during the summer, and uh, I went and saw. It was a good summer. I saw Pirates of the Caribbean. I saw. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. I saw Hulk. I saw X Men Two, the Good X Men. Um, oh yeah, that's not the title. <laughs> but, uh, X-Men. The, good the good X-Men, X-Men movie. There's no villains in the whole movie. They just sit around and like talk about how much they like each other. Would you, you guys like want to have tea? a picnic? <laughs> I love you guys. Um, I'll use my super mutant sandwich skills to make some awesome sandwiches. So, There's got to be a mutant that's like that. And that's absolutely. all they do. They there was, just go to the in picnics. the comic books, there was Cypher who could learn languages super fast. Which I always liked that there was a, a guy whose mutant power did not help him in battle, but it was still a pretty awesome power. That'd be awesome, yeah. isn't it? That. Uh, he died in battle anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course. The, uh, so you loved movies, mm-hmm. but and then as you got older, let's say probably teenage years, yeah, were there were there any movies that uh, you saw and you're like this like. It changed the way, maybe not changed the way you looked at life, but certainly changed the way you looked at movies and, and what movies could be. Like, did you have yeah. anything like that? Um, well, it's it's going to sound so odd. That that happens to me, I think, frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a big shift, as you as as you can probably understand. I, I have to preface this very very briefly. I have my two favorite movies are going to sound like I'm making them up. Okay, okay? Um, but it, it, if you can understand why these are my two favorite movies, you'll get some glimpse into the chaos that is 
changes my mind. My favorite movie ever is actually the the nineteen seventy seven made for TV miniseries by Franco Zeffirelli, Jesus of Nazareth. It's six and a half hours long. Okay, um, wow. I, I, I'll, I'll if you care, I'll tell you why it's my favorite in a second. But the movie that first did that to answer your question was actually the first time I saw The Exorcist, which is my second favorite movie ever. Um, the uh, the first time that I saw The Exorcist expecting a just real scary movie. Um, and I was young. I was probably like, I was young to see that movie. I was about 15, I think. And the first time that I saw that movie, something clicked in me that the movie wasn't about the possession of the little girl, that it was about the younger priest and his mm-hmm. struggle with faith and, his, and, and and kind of how these events in his begging for evidence and his begging for for a, a sort of divine purpose in his life and then gets thrust into these incredibly horrific events where he has to completely put his own concerns aside and care just for this little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've watched the film multiple times since then. It's still my favorite. But that was that was kind of a tipping point for me was when I was like, I need to start looking at like all these other films that I've seen and see if there's more of of this going on in yeah. it. Uh, see if you know. See if there's something deeper than just that was entertaining or uh, that was really scary or that was really funny. And see if there's more of it. Like try to pay attention to other characters and try to pay attention to the rhythm and beats of the events and what do they mean. And and that was kind of the first time that I did that. Oddly enough, was with was with that movie. That movie did not scare me at all. Um, it, it was a very odd experience. I know that movie terrifies a lot of people. I don't actually recommend that if you're sensitive to that kind of thing that you see that movie yeah i don't i don't find it scary i find it like a like a, a suspense drama yeah uh, i would completely agree such, with that such great characters and such great performances yeah and it's i mean it's it's creepy but i don't find it scary but then there are some people like our own josh long hey i'm not crapping on you for this i crap on you for a lot of things but not a this. lot of things <laughs> like that uh there are some things and you are particularly sensitive to Horror movies of a spiritual nature, correct? Yeah, those scare me way too much, and there's a lot of them that I've I've avoided, including The Exorcist. I've never I've never seen it. Although, yeah. to many people, it is considered one of the greatest movies of all time, and I can totally respect that. That that may be the case. Maybe someday I'll see it. As of now, I'm too scared. Yeah, I specifically recommend to people if you are sensitive to that that you not see it mm. because one of the things that I so love about it is how realistically it's all played. Mm. And if that's going to get under your skin, it's just sometimes, you know, to a certain degree, it's not worth it to Mm. really, you know, subject yourself to that. I think there's a lot to the movie that's very edifying, Mm. but um, to subject yourself to that when you're really sensitive to it is not wise. So that's usually I don't recommend that people see it if they do have that that particular bent of mind. But for me, in any capacity, it, it really not only... Is a film that I love and love to rewatch, but is a film that really began to shift things in how I see and interact with movies because it was a movie about a religious subject um, that you know took a very different turn from some of the Christian films that I had seen and uh, took a very different approach to the entire story than even some of the other kinds of that movie possession films that I had encountered before that, um, and so. Yeah, it really it was a big deal for me. Now, you just said a word that struck something in me. The word you said was edifying. Oh, yes. So uh, we're going to explore that in a moment. But first, I am fascinated to know. Uh, and unfortunately, it'll have to go a little quick. 
because sure, uh, sure. we're, get, we're getting to the uh, last uh, 15, 20 minutes here. Okay, sure. No and problem. I'd like to devote that to, uh, to the victim. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, it's Zeffirelli, who is a filmmaker that I like, and oh, it's not wonderful. like... when you When a Christian says, oh, one of my favorite things is this, not merely a movie about Jesus, a long miniseries Six about and a half it. hours. Like, <laughs> I think people, immediately, their attitude is like, of course. Oh, sure. Which, um, yeah. But, of course, but, but then, you know, Zeffirelli, who directed the version of Romeo and Juliet we all saw in high school. Yes. Um, even for me, when the other one was, had come out on video, but uh, people were like, ah, that's not worth anything, that Baz Luhrmann <laughs> one. Let's watch this one. Um, so why is that uh, Why is that a favorite it's, of yours? It's my favorite ever. I, the, the, I will make this as brief as I can. The the. It's usually criticized for its portrayal of Jesus himself, who is played by Robert Powell, an incredibly talented actor, but he's got striking blue eyes mm. and a slight British accent. So it's it's immediately, and he's also played as a directorial and actor choice as very aloof and often very disconnected from what's going on around him. And I disagree with that image of Jesus, and it's often why it received criticism. But here's the thing. If you don't have a problem with six and a half hours, and if you are an interested viewer, the reason that I love that movie is because of the time and attention and care it gives to all of the periphery characters in Jesus' life. I have never, never seen a better portrayal of Simon Peter than I've seen in Jesus of Nazareth. Never seen a better portrayal of Matthew, the tax collector. Never seen anything more than and I, you know, come follow me. Okay, I will. Mm-hmm. But they take multiple scenes, more than twenty minutes of footage, specifically devoted to them and mm-hmm. to the to why they are wrestling with following Jesus, why they choose to follow Jesus. They give time and attention to Pilate. Herod Antipas is mentioned in maybe four or five verses of the whole Bible, but he's played by Christopher Plummer and is given like fifteen to twenty minutes of screen time, so that. When he finally has to make the choice to behead John the Baptist, it is an incredibly affecting moment. It's a very powerful, because you see that he's been bamboozled into this, that there's all of this conflict going on, and I think that film gets such a poor rap because they always concentrate on, well, first of all, it's long. Second of all, it's slower paced. I recently uh, asked my my wife and uh, her parents uh, two Christmases ago to sit down and watch that movie with me. All of them were like, that was much better than I was expecting it Mm -hmm. to be. That was that was really a, a well paced, well scripted, well acted movie. I mean, the cast is insanely good: it's James Mason, uh, Lawrence Olivier, James Earl Jones, Christopher Plummer, uh, Michael York. I mean, it's got just a who's who of popular actors from that time, legendary mm-hmm. actors. Some of them. Wow. Um, it's James incre- Mason playing that. James Mason plays Joseph of Arimathea, who oh. has some. Hmm. Wonderful scenes, huh. wonderful moments. Um, Lawrence Olivier plays Nicodemus, and so mm-hmm. the "For God so loved the world" moment is. Amazing! It's amazing. Uh, so yeah, there's there's wonderful attention given to those periphery characters, and I often said, you know, I have trouble uh, relating to portrayals of Jesus, but man, I get why Peter's following him, and I think I will too. And I'm not saying that Jesus of Nazareth saved me. My conversion experience is a very different thing. But whenever I watch that movie, I re-encounter. Yes, this is why my faith sometimes frustrates me. This is why I love it. This is why I live it. Mm. Um, see that movie. I would recommend that. Anybody who's got the time, see that movie. It's Oddly great. Oddly enough, that's one of the things that I find uh, most interesting about The Passion of the Christ. I don't mm. uh, respond – I don't really respond emotionally to that film, um, and I feel like I'm watching a stranger when I watch Jesus, and that's yeah. not an easy thing for me to say. 
but it does have a nice eye towards the people that he touches. Uh, yeah. Like the the uh, the soldier whose ear he puts back yes. on. Um, and, uh, you know, and uh, Mary, well, uh, you know, and, and oh, I've forgotten who uh, picks up the cross. Oh, uh, Simon. Simon, thank mm-hmm. you. Okay. Um, like, it has such a nice eye for just these, these, like you said, peripheral characters. And it's just like, and and the way that it just lingers on the on the Roman soldier whose ear has been reattached as oh, he's yeah. just like staring straight ahead and it's just like that's how that's how some that's somebody whose life has been changed absolutely um, so yeah, th- yeah those are the things that I remember about that film being affecting like I think there were the two moments that I remembered um the, well the main one is is I think Peter has a flashback to Jesus saying that he's going to to deny him I feel like mm-hmm. that that moment was one where some, somehow the humanity in that came out a little bit more than it does in, in just reading it. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like I, I got that a little bit in that moment. That was the main one. And then I love Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, that's a, that's a very misunderstood movie. Yeah. And that one focuses on Jesus maybe to the detriment of some of the other characters. Like, I think, yeah. obviously, it explores Mary Magdalene and explores Judas, but as far as, like, John and Peter and all that. Oh, like, yeah, just they're like, incidental. Eh. Yeah. And then David Bowie's pilot, I love, but um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But let's uh, let's let's move on um, and let's jump ahead quite a bit um, to the victim, which is uh, yeah. the the film that uh, we talked about a little earlier. Um, when did you write it? And actually, let's just let's go with that. When did you write it? Well, I wrote it. I was in California for about three years, and I I, I hadn't really. I had written a couple of short scripts, uh, short films, and I really just had this idea after a frustrating incident that I won't go into in much detail that involved getting pulled over on a bicycle uh, by a police officer, and I was very frustrated. <laughs> Welcome to California. Yes, yeah. and uh, and so uh, that incident, uh, I, I, this idea just sort of began to develop in my mind and, and kind of wouldn't let me go, which is a common thing some people say when they talk about where their ideas come from, but I came home and I just like, let me, let me just try to write this and see what happens, and then I found that it was fun to to continue writing it. So I was, it was about ninety or not ninety, uh, like two thousand five, two thousand six, somewhere around there that I wrote it. Uh, I think two thousand five. Um, and f- when I finished it, I had a good friend at the time that I showed it to, and she was immediately repulsed by it. <laughs> just, I just thought it was terrible. Um, and well, what was the uh, what was the uh, what was it about? Um, well, I had this moment in my mind. Where what if a guy lives out in a in, in in a secluded place, and then one evening he's minding his own business. Suddenly he gets a knock on the door from a frantic woman screaming, "Please God, let me in! Let me in! They're going to kill me!" And what if that guy lets her in? Here's her story about police officers who you know in a rural area are crooked, and they they pull people over to kind of have their way with them, and they've done this to her. And then while she's sharing this story with this complete stranger, then the police car pulls into his driveway and then two police officers show him her mugshot saying we're looking for this woman and i thought it would be interesting if he like what would he do would he side with the woman and her story or would he side with the police officers and what's really going on and i thought that idea you know had some some potential to it so that's the basics of it it devolves into um a very uh visceral sort of cat and mouse game where he's uh you know trying to find out the truth of it and uh then it turns out i'm just going to speak 
directly about the, the the story. It turns out the police the police are the bad guys. The girl is not squeak as squeaky clean as she initially made herself out to be. But um, but the cops are the bad guys, and they really are trying to kill her. And uh, so the guy gets kind of swept up in this. And so there were some violent elements of of my script um, and one particular sexual moment in the script that my friend was like, ah, what? No, I don't want to. I don't want to read this. I'm not. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think you should put this on the shelf and just forget about it, um, which I did for like two years. Um, and so I, I don't know if you want me to go into more of that or if you'd like me to uh, a little bit. And we'll, we'll get to the actual uh, production of the film a little bit later. Um, but uh, but yeah, right now, like because when we had uh, when you and I had our, our lunch, we delved into this uh, a little bit. Um, the idea that you know you you had an experience in your life, albeit a fairly you know one that's not that big of a deal ultimately, no, yeah. but it sparked something, and then you decided to just kind of follow the idea, something that interested you as a person. Yeah. And and you wanted to see where it would go, and and then you wound up with a whole script and one that you were actually rather pleased with. Yeah. Um. And it had some some elements in there that you, as a Christian, would if you heard somebody doing this, you'd be right. like, "That's that's awful. I don't like that sure. at all." But as a filmmaker and as as a writer, uh, more specifically, um. You understand, well, just because I don't personally approve of the behavior of these characters doesn't mean they shouldn't behave that way. They are bad guys and they're doing bad things. And for us to, and I'm of the opinion that for us to really understand how bad they are, you do need to, you need to be a little bit repulsed by it, which means you need to see it. Yeah. You don't have to see it in graphic detail, but some people say that any depiction of sex or violence is too much is too much it's and glorifying much. Yeah, right and uh and so and i was it just this one person or were there other people that said like this is we can't stand by this i had a couple of people who uh who kind of had the same reaction and who kind of had the reaction of uh one person in particular was very close to me who read it and and uh, said yeah i i don't know if i know you and and that was that was rough. Uh, wow. I was like, I, yeah, I don't know if I know you if you could write something like this. And and um, with that sort of reaction, you know, like they they told me this and they said, why did you why did you write this? And uh, and I said, uh, well, they, it's not a very complicated answer. The simplicity of it is. I thought the story was interesting, and I thought other people might find it interesting too. That's that's about as far as it went. I wasn't trying to explore some deep theme although there were a couple of minor themes in the back of my mind that sort of informed what I did in the story there weren't uh, there wasn't a great deal of intention behind I'm going to do this and that's going to be a metaphor for this right. or that's going to be symbolic of this over here and and it wasn't that calculated it was simply an idea that I just sort of let run wild on the page doing my best not to inhibit any sort of creative impulse um, which by the way for any uh, writers or creative artists out there um, it, it, in the final form I really believe in restrictions but in early forms 
I really believe in not inhibiting yourself at all and just letting yourself just create and then in reshaping and in, in forming it, either in rewriting if it's writing or in some other, in editing if it's filmmaking or something like that, then you can tweak and reform and, and, and sort of be polished with it. But I tried with that to just sort of let the story go wherever the wherever the story wanted to go, let the characters behave however they wanted to behave. And, and I was writing a story, as you said, about about bad people who were caught up in a very bad situation, um, so that you know they behaved accordingly. Like the sex scene in it is actually was a character choice because the girl is uh, was written to be a very attractive woman who uses her attractiveness to get what she wants from other people, mm-hmm. and so the scene involved uh, kind of she was at her you know kind of the last desperate chance, and she used her sexuality to coax the person she was in the scene with in trying to get her get them to do what she wanted. And I felt like that was true to that character, so mm-hmm. I included the sex scene in there. And that was as far as it went. You know, it's interesting because the uh, we'll, we'll go into some of my theories about this, uh, but those are, to a certain extent, uh, abstract because I don't really write anymore. Um, so Josh can speak to this uh, specifically uh, as well. That, And it sounds really cheesy to say but i i happen to believe it that like if you're writing something and and all if you've created characters that you and i think i I might have said it on the show before if you if you've created characters that you believe in and that you think are strong and they are Mm three-dimensional after a certain point yes of course you shape it but after a certain point you know you mentioned like the choices that the characters make well in theory you decide what choices they make but after a certain point you don't I they agree. tell you what they're yeah. going to do. And I know that's really cheesy and kind of pretentious, but I do believe it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, if you work on that first part of it of creating a three-dimensional character, mm-hmm. and then once you have that three-dimensional character, there there are limitations, like you said, limitations to what that character would do or say. Right. And it it's not... <laughs> it's not as much that this fictional person defines itself, but more that you you've already created a set of limitations in the first stages and from those limitations only certain things make sense so and then what people could ask if we want to put a christian spin on this what people could ask is like well why would you why would you you know why would you create a character that would do such a thing and she's like hmm i imagine people could say the same of god Oh sure, like, and yeah. in this instance, yes, I am comparing you to God, which um, feels nice. Yeah. Wow, but just that idea of like, what, like why, why are there characters that would do this? That's a good question, right? Mm. But that's a larger question than my script. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a well, question about humanity. And yeah, that, well, that you have to turn it. If, I feel like if anybody comes to you with, it, with that question, you need to change it into that question about yeah. humanity. Because it's like, well, th- those people exist. Mm-hmm. Oh, Do absolutely. we want to pretend that they don't and exist? worse people exist. Oh, much worse. Yeah. People people exist who are much worse than you can even imagine. And they oh, might absolutely. live next door to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a I'm, I'm very a sto- afraid now. There's a story right there for you, buddy. <laughs> uh, I have an idea. I have to go. Okay. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so, so the idea that like, why would you ever write something about these terrible, these terrible characters? Well, it's like, well, these, these terrible characters do exist and there's something to be said about them that I think that can be edifying maybe in a way different than Christian viewers might be expecting when they say they want something to be edifying. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause already like in this, in what you described, you described something that Josh and I, uh, both watched the finished film and some of this remained, and I remember being actually quite excited about certain aspects of it. And one of them was the idea of 
who do I believe? Do I believe the right. cops or do I believe this girl? Yeah. Um, yeah. And because if the cops show up with the mugshot saying, I'm looking for this girl, like, who do we... A- I'd probably want to believe them right. because we want to have faith in our authority figures, but mm-hmm. like power can corrupt and people can abuse it. Right. You know, like people it's you, the script you're describing is people like exploiting whatever they have, whether it be their sexuality or their power in order to get what they want. And even if the girl is exploiting her attractiveness, for so that she can get protection like it's right. still maybe not it's not, not the best instinct like just exploiting fear of authority or a desire for like you know for sex and that sort of thing right. like to get what you want i mean you're writing about very selfish characters doing very base things like yeah. i i think there's very interesting and what i would venture to say are very christian explorations there oh, about absolutely. selfishness and and self-preservation and that sort of thing and so because uh, that goes into uh, another theory that I've that I that I have that I've had to tell my mom in the past <laughs> that uh, of just like look I, I'm a Christian I've been Christian for a while and I regularly pray that God guides me in the things that I do mm-hmm. and back when I was a writer I wrote a, a a film noir that in which people do very terrible things yeah um and I remember I described it to my mom once and she was just like, well, why would you do that? Why would you have them doing that? And I was like, well, it's not because I like it. It's not because I approve of it. But like at the same time, I'm, I was telling a story that I found very interesting and that I would enjoy watching. But also like, do you really think that I, that years of me, and by the way, merely being Christian for a number of years doesn't guarantee that you're going to be producing really great and moral things. Sure. Whatever it is you do. But if you are actively seeking after God in whatever in whatever it is you're doing he's not going to send you veering off in some horrible direction where there's literally nothing good about it right and nothing redeeming and not to imply that your script is inherently redemptive but it's something that like you found it interesting but like you are a christian and you found this interesting did yeah. you find this interesting completely separate from your christianity probably not because no, that yeah. is a that is a an umbrella that kind of goes over everything so yeah. it doesn't hurt to to ask of yourself why do i find this interesting and is that worth exploring but at the same time like once you do that and if you've prayed about it then yeah other people might find might not find it edifying but there's a reason you wrote it yeah so yeah. and as far as talking about those themes like i think those are themes that can be interesting and thought-provoking to christians themes about People using, uh, using maybe good things that they have for mm-hmm. for evil, manipulative purposes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and um, the idea the idea of being the idea of injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a yeah. concept that has a lot of weight to it. Um, yeah. And being placed in a position where you where it's hard to know what's what's right and what's wrong which yeah. is where the the main character would find himself absolutely and one of the things that in in rewriting this wasn't as as present in the very first draft i rewrote it twice um, before it actually got purchased it was i found interest uh, professionally, even in the very first draft, but uh, but as I rewrote it, one of the things that I rewrote it with in mind that I do that I did try to express to people who really kind of took me to task on this kind of thing is I said it it it, it became very much a story about how we tend to think that we are entitled to what we want, 
simply by virtue of the fact that we want it, mm. and we will use whatever means we have at our disposal to acquire it, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's brute force with one of the characters, whether that's intimidation with another one, or whether that's sexuality with another one. And they'll use whatever they have at their disposal to get what they want from people and from each other. And uh, I'll go ahead, I hope this is not too out of sync, but I'll skip to the to the end of my script. This is not the end of the final film. That's one of the major things that they, they changed a lot in the final film from what was in my script, but the ending specifically was probably the most dramatic change. All of the flashbacks that are in the film are, were not in my script. I would assume not. Yeah, uh, none of those were there. Because that... The ambiguity of who do I believe goes away when you see the flashbacks. I, yeah, I exactly. thought the exact same thing. Like yeah. I was like, I I would like this to be where where I I don't know which has happened, but yeah. I I think I I did still give the movie a little bit of credit. I was like, well, maybe somehow those flashbacks are going to be shown to be like. Uh, like you know, a false narrator yeah, or something. something like yeah. that. But then as it got on, went on, it was like, oh, it's just what I thought yeah. it was the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted there to be that, that ambiguity is more is more interesting. Yeah. And it, it was all played straight linearly uh, in my script. But at the very end, what happens is the tables have turned and our hero who is in the situation he's in of trying to determine who's telling the truth. Um, there is a moment where it pretty much looks like he's done for. And they've got him. They've got him cornered. They're they're uh, putting him through some violent retribution of their own to try to take him to task for what he's done to them throughout the story. And it is at that moment that one you know, sort of the sidekick cop discovers that in his shed out there are uh, quite a number of uh, this sounds even more graphic, but body parts are out mm-hmm. in the and that's when they realize that this hero this entire time is actually a profound serial killer and they've stumbled into a bigger mess than they Mm -hmm. ever could have imagined and it is at that point the tables completely turn on them and uh, what I was trying to do in that sort of twist was recognizing that the more you play feeling like you're just going to get what you want the closer you come to really getting in over your head and mm-hmm. stepping into a situation that is completely out of your depth mm-hmm. and um, so that was what I was playing. That's funny because I, I was just saying that to Tyler uh, before we started I was saying I feel like the the because for those who haven't seen the film, there's a plot line that there are these missing girls that they keep talking right. about throughout the movie. And then at the very end of the movie, the main character hints to the fact that, that he, he has kind of a monologue which hints to the fact that maybe he is the re- he's the reason for the missing girls. And I said to Tyler, like, either that, that note is not in the script at all or it was in the script a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's kind of a throwaway at the end. And I feel like I would either want it to just be taken out completely or to be kind of layered in there and and really hit at more of yeah. a climactic moment it's more distinct. than just kind of a yeah. thing at the end. Sure. Yeah, it's and there is a and in the in the final film you do see remnants of uh of the idea people saying like look, sometimes you get in these situations. You don't want to be in it. And you probably got in it as a function of something you did. Yeah. Um and you think you get in it sometimes you get in it thinking you can control it, but you can't. And and so many of these of the characters just find them just things go spiraling out of control and then of course and sounds like in your in your original script it goes to the to an almost an absurd extreme yeah um okay well we do need to uh, start wrapping up a little bit but uh, i i want to uh, go into yeah see yeah all right, we'll have to cut into the ne- next episode okay uh we are recording two episodes in one sitting sorry everybody so um 
So you the there was interest in the script, and then it was eventually purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll 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 kind of speed through like some of the pre-production aspects of it and, sure, and all that. But sure. uh, but there was interest uh, by Michael Bean, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he said he was going to direct it. I don't think he's the one that that bought it. Was it? Uh, well, I guess you can tell me. Yes, yeah. No. Uh, ultimately, there was a guy who. To remember. Sure. There was a guy who was interested in it, and he somehow got it under the nose of of Michael Bean, uh, who eventually called me and talked about it. He knew somebody who had some money that wanted to make a film like this. He wanted to make a film like this, but he wanted to make it much less a sort of a, a noir thriller and much more a, a sort of a grindhouse movie and um so he called me about that and then uh you know the negotiations began to try to 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 make the purchase from me of of the script um and so uh when i when the guy who got it under the 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 eyes of michael bean first contacted me he optioned it and we kind of agreed uh that i would have a certain amount as my writer's fee if if the money came through, and uh, so then it begins to become a reality. Um, you know, talking on the phone with Michael Bean, and I'm talking with the producer and uh, Ryan Honey, and and so I'm, I'm I'm talking with these people, and it begins to come about that uh, you know that this is going to happen. And suddenly, I got a call uh, that said, um, "Okay, we're we're wanting you to uh, take your fee deferred." And uh, what that means for some people who don't know is just basically means I, I had agreed to receive a certain amount of money up front and uh, a certain amount of percentage points of any profits that it received. They were now asking me to all of the money that I had originally agreed to take up front to now only accept if the movie was profitable. That's what deferred means. It's like if we make our money back, then you get paid. Otherwise, you don't. Thought about it. I talked it over uh, with my wife. I talked it over with a good friend who was in the industry and received unanimous uh, advice and opinion to to not accept the deferred payment. To just stick with the original agreement, which is exactly what I said. I said I would like to just stick to what we had originally agreed to, and we'll we'll just leave it at that. And then something happened that that I shared with you before. So I, I, I think you want me to go into this. That. Um, uh, there began to be some pressure from certain people uh, on the production side to take this deferred payment. And when I say pressure, um, there were uh, threats of, quote, burying me in the press, uh, speaking poorly of me uh, to people that they were trying to promote the movie to, um, burying me in the credits, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things that, you know, unless I took this deferred payment. And some of these conversations I was hearing kind of through a third party, uh, the guy who had originally, uh, you know, got the script under their nose was now calling me and kind of saying like, hey, man, come on, take this. I, I took deferred payment. Why don't you take it? And I was like, I, all I want is what was originally agreed to. I'm not asking for more. I'm not being greedy. I just want the amount that was originally agreed to. And that that's all I want. And uh, so I eventually did compromise a bit um, and agreed because they at one point offered me like a tenth of what I originally agreed and then increased the deferred amount. So, you know, which could seem, sound enticing, like, oh, OK, I'll take a tenth of what I agreed on now. And then I get like double in deferment. I, I didn't feel comfortable with that. I was like, I, I just I don't want need extra money. Just give me what we agreed to. And then um, at a certain point, we finally – I compromised a little bit. I said, okay, I will take two-thirds of the agreed-upon amount. 
and then this much deferred. You know, uh, two thirds and then an equal two thirds. So I was getting a little bit extra deferred and mm-hmm. kind of giving a little bit. That was the compromise we reached. And uh, even then, there was a little bit of kickback to it. But we finally landed somewhere. And uh, from that point, uh, for a little while, I was. Uh, seen by a few people as kind of a pariah, as uh, the the comment "Who does this kid think he is?" was was thrown around mm. more than once, and uh, and so there was a lot of antagonism from that side. Okay, fine, pay him, and and then we'll we'll move on with things. Um, and uh, well, I mean, what? Uh, how does that make you feel? Like this is your first. This is your first big thing i mean it wasn't huge but it was a big a big deal michael but you know yeah hey, sure hicks yeah hicks is making my movie <laughs> exactly know? and just but now you know people on the on the film you know there's there's negative talk about me yeah. in the in the production of this film you know yeah. like yeah. i have to assume it's uh, a little sad oh it was, yeah it was it was rough there were some Tense, tough conversations uh, just between me and my wife and, and just, you know, kind of some hurtful things. I wanted more from it. I expected more of it. And I was, you know, a lot of the whole uh, self-reflection uh, thing, like, should I have just taken it? Should I, you know, like, what? Yeah. Have, I, have, I, have I made a bad decision? I just wanted what was originally agreed to, you know. And, and, and that, was, uh, that was very disheartening and very discouraging just to think that this is the reality that sometimes you can get pretty much bowled over and i didn't have an agent i still don't have an agent and so i was doing all of these negotiations myself which amplified the personal attacks that much more yeah Um, and makes it easier to kind of kind of bully you if they want to pretty much pretty Um, much because i was the only one that they spoke to and i can totally i I know that's a that's a thing that a lot of especially younger people in hollywood are worried about is if people are have been around for longer people are more experienced maybe they can make it so you'll never work in this town again yeah like that's that's more of a threat to somebody who who's newer to the industry absolutely and i and what's and it's a weird like i don't know if it's a catch-22 but it's this weird trap because younger people in the industry are, are more are more likely to not quite know how to manage it i was interning at a company in which uh this that had made a a, a little tiny little film um not so tiny kim basinger was in it but like um and one of the actors who had a you know, supporting role, but he, he was new to the business. He was probably 23, 22, and he'd been in maybe a, a handful of things. This was probably the biggest thing he had gotten. And this was made, uh, it was basically a non-union shoot, but he was part of the union. And so he was brought in to uh, to do some um, ADR, additional dialogue recording. Uh, that's right. Anyway, so I don't know why I'm, what I'm bragging about. But so he was brought in, but he's supposed to, according to union rules, he's supposed to get paid for that. Mm. Um, but this was, a, again, a tiny shoot. And so he uh, he was kind of brought in sort of, you know, it was kind of under wraps and stuff. But, sure. But he wasn't getting paid. They, they said they were going to pay him, but they weren't paying him. And so he talked to his agent. No, he talked to his union union rep or something like that, and then the production star get, got in a little bit of trouble, and then I, as an intern, overheard the producer, the guy I was interning for, because we would listen to every call so that we could make notes for later if he needed them. So we would listen in on every call. So I heard this producer, who's like fifty, fifty-five, yeah, uh, 
lots of experience in the business on much larger movies, uh, just ream this 23-year-old kid who is oh, wow. literally just trying to do things the right way. Like, oh, the union. No, I'm supposed to go through the union. You know, mm. like, and was just trying to do things the right way and promising, like, I'm, you are, ne- you know, you're never going to work in this town again. Yeah. And that kind of thing. And I just wanted to, like, because his office was in another building, I wanted to run and be like, stop bullying this kid. <laughs> yeah. It inconveniences you. And yes, it's, it sucks to be in trouble with the unions. I get it. But like, you're not going to be in that much trouble. And sure enough, it was handled the next day. But this kid, this poor kid, you know, like he's worked since then and good for him. But at the same right. time, like in that moment, I have to assume he's just like, it's over. I, oh, I made sure. a, I made a dumb rookie mistake that incidentally has nothing to do with acting. The thing mm-hmm. I'm trained in. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, exactly. So, Those thoughts know. do go through your mind. Yeah. I'm sure. And, uh, and it's very intimidating. And also uh, me being a person who, who really, uh, when I'm honest, needs to be well-liked, it was exponentially more difficult in that situation because here I am, you know, fresh off the bus with a guitar, if you want to use that analogy, and, and these people now have this opinion of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was really, really difficult. Um, and, uh, and, so it, and it was stressful at that time. And I had kind of resigned myself to, okay, if that's it, if that's all, you know, if that's the farthest I get in in this sort of arena, uh, you know, then so be it. That's mm-hmm. you know, that is what it is because I can't unmake the decision. You know, no. um, and so then uh, something happened. Uh, they, for reasons I don't know, they did continue because I know that those opinions were were kept of me. Some of them were expressed to me, but they did continue to. For whatever reason, keep me on the email list, and I think looking back on it, it was because they had created a group and they just emailed the group, and I was in the group <laughs> and didn't realize. Yeah, some um, PA made that mistake. Exactly, exactly. Day. He's been fired. Why is Why is Reed getting copied on this? You know. Um, but uh, so they sent me um, an email that had a revised script, and the revised script was pretty dramatically different. It included all the flashbacks. They cut a lot of scenes that I had in the in the story and exchanged them with different scenes, changed the ending. Uh, there were still elements, and the story was still kind of the same, but uh, they had changed a great deal. And they sent me this, and they said, okay, we start shooting uh, next week. And, and so they sent that email. I, I read through the script. And uh, and you know I, I I wasn't thrilled about it all, uh, but uh, but I read through it and I was like, well this this is happening and uh, and I really want them to do well. I want the movie to do well. Uh, so I emailed uh, back the 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 whole group. I emailed back everybody, and I said um, this this looks great. I uh, wish you all very very well. I wish you a safe and and uh, beneficial production. I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but it was something like I wish you a, you know a safe and fruitful production or something like that. Um, and uh, and I said you know good luck with everything. Good luck with the shoot. It was pretty simple. It was pretty you know direct. I didn't say like I'm so sorry that you are you know like I didn't even bring it up. I was just like I wish you well. Um, I think I did include in there like you know you have my blessing or, or something like that. And um, and in many ways, a lot of that could just be put down to like almost just southern politeness of like oh hey, yeah you know yeah. hey good good job everybody. You, I hope I hope things go well. Like exactly. almost a formality than any oh yeah than anything else. Yeah, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Right. And uh, within an hour of sending that email. Um, I got a phone call from Michael Bean himself, and uh, he called me, and he was a bit, a bit stunned at the email, at which took me back at first. I was like, uh, "What?" And he's talked about. He said, "You're a first-time writer without representation, and we've 
butchered your script. Um, that was his words. <laughs> he said, we've butchered your script. To reply back to us giving your blessing is, he said it was almost unheard of. For a person in my position to to do that with this production um and he alluded to you know he he knew of some of the things that were going on and he alluded to them and said you know for you to do that was very gracious and he said I, you know i'm just very surprised he said nobody sends an email uh like that it's just not not really done and uh, so he complimented me on a couple of things and then you know welcomed me in the set he said i want you to know as far as i'm concerned uh, you're welcome on the set any day you want to come by, and uh, you're welcome to stay there all day if you want to. Uh, we just, you know, consider you part of the family. And on and in that same conversation, he said, "Now that having been said, um, I think you'll agree this script is no longer the one you wrote. Uh, so we'd like, if you wouldn't mind, to agree to take a story by credit as opposed to a written by credit, which is what the original contract said. Can mm-hmm. you take a story by credit?" And I said, yeah, that, you know, that would be fine. I agree with that. Now, here's what that, here's what that did. <laughs> um, and, and I could not, if I prayed and begged God for an outcome to this situation, I couldn't have asked for a better one. Because what that did was it positioned me in a place that, was ne- that I couldn't have even imagined of mutual benefit to everybody involved in this movie. Because the people in the production side who had had such poor opinions of me now saw me as a much more gracious person. They saw me as as someone who, uh, you know, was just just sort of an all around good person. And and you know, they kind of began to realize I had had a couple of people tell me we kind of got off on the wrong foot. We had a wrong impression of you, or stuff like that. Um, and by receiving a story by credit, some of the more exploitive elements that they added to it, it effectively distanced me from them. You know, some of the stuff that they did add to get you know, a wider audience for that type of grindhouse movie, uh, which I wasn't responsible for. They, uh, you know, now, if, if ever I was asked, I was like, well, I, I actually didn't include that. That wasn't in mm-hmm. my version. I, I don't lie and say my version was squeaky clean, but, you know, it wasn't to that extreme, you know, and stuff like that. So it positioned me in just a sweet spot of, you know, now I can interact with this group of people and I can interact with this group of people. And um, I was very grateful that that was the response to to my email and that was response to to my general demeanor among them uh i was just very grateful i was very happy about that and whenever my i or my wife went to set or whenever we've interacted them i'll be honest that they've they've just treated us like royalty they've really uh you know any any interaction i've had with them after that was completely uh just wonderful and they began to express gratitude to me for writing the story <laughs> you know like it was it was a really bizarre sort of turn of events to go from that two weeks of really you know stomachs in knots and don't really know how this is all going to c- turn out to now this being a, an experience i'm i'm very you know happy about the way that it that it all played out um you know even though the film is not necessarily what i wanted in terms of when i originally wrote the script it's much more what uh the director and and production staff wanted which is Mm -hmm. that is what it is but uh but the experience of it is very much far more what i than what i expected and I'm, i'm very thankful for that um yeah and we we probably should start uh wrapping up now but uh that that is the story that Reed, that's the story that got you on the show. Oh my gosh! Um, wow, <laughs> because uh, uh, it is such a you know it's such a rare thing when you hear because it's not as though I don't well maybe but uh, it's not as though you said hey everybody 
you have my blessing, and as a Christian, which I am, that means something. You didn't say that. No, But it was probably out of what I would, you know, I apologize if this sounds embarrassing to you that, that I'm, you know, being comp- complimentary, but, like, you know, it's probably a Christian instinct that says, like, hey, you know, things don't always go your way. That doesn't give you the, r- the right to be a jerk about it, even if people have treated you as a jerk. Right. You know, turn right. the other cheek, send out a nice email. It costs nothing. Yeah, absolutely. You could be, you could, you have every right to be bitter about this. Mm-hmm. Butchered your script, treated you poorly. Yeah. You know, b- all because you wanted to stick to the terms originally agreed to. Right. You know, right. like you could have been that and anybody else in this city would have been. But I think as a function of your Christianity, not to imply that Christians can't be petty, they certainly can. Yeah. But in this instance, a, a, a deeper humility that I think is rooted very much in being a follower of Jesus, I think actually won the day. <sighs> and, uh, and it was very, it's, it's such an encouraging thing. And especially from a, you know, first, you know, a first time writer with no representation, you know, like it's one thing when we have like Doug Jones and Tom Wilson on the, on the show who have are very well established, uh, in the business and, uh, and then they can give, uh, you know they they are a little freer to be who they whoever they want to be, but I wanted to you know encourage Christian artists of of any kind that like you don't ha- like you don't have to compromise who you are as a person or as a right, Christian right. to fit into an industry that is actually rather that's pretty craven. Sure, and so. Um, so and and your story really feeds into that, and so I wanted I wanted people to hear it because well, I, thank I you love very much. it. I appreciate so, that. Yeah. Um, and I did also want to say before we before we end, uh, all three of us have seen the finished film. Yes, and uh, listeners, you know if you want if you want to seek out the film as a way of supporting Reed, that's great. I don't recommend it. Yeah. Uh, the changes made to the script are ultimately not that uh, not my cup of tea. So, yeah. Yeah. for some people, maybe that's their thing. For some know. people, yeah. sure. If you yeah. want a little more of that grindhouse and a little less of a plot that makes sense, <laughs> then maybe this was changed for the better for you. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> there have been IMDb quotes of people who loved it. Uh, yeah, there no. have been an almost equal amount of people who. Just didn't get it, didn't know what was going on. And uh, and so, yeah, for my personal tastes, uh, I, I do look at it, and, and, and there's some moments in there that I'm like, okay, and then there's other moments that I'm like, I think mine was a little better, but that may be a bit selfish on my part, you know, uh, but... It's always well, it's hard natural, to say. Yeah. yeah, it's always hard to say, like, you know, th- I, had a re- I had visioned it a certain way, if if it doesn't look that way, is it good or is it bad? Like, right. It seems bad immediately because it's like, well, this is wrong, but right. Yeah. It's always hard to tell. It's very much the director's vision. This yeah. was, this was very much, uh, you know, and I don't say that as a, you know, as a cop out, it's just, it was, it was very much the movie that Michael Bean directed. It was very mm-hmm. much the movie he wanted to make and he was very mm-hmm. happy with it. And I was very happy for him. That's genuine. Oh, that's great. But, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, that's just kind of what comes to the territory. But as far yeah. as, you know the the antagonism and everything. It's uh, you know just. Uh, I had one thing, and maybe this will be a, a final button note. Uh, there was somebody who said once that uh, you you need to find out who your enemies are so that you know who to bless. And it's you know sounds uh, very easy rolling off the tongue, and it, it's really hard to do. But uh, and sometimes it doesn't work in your 
benefit as right. it did in mine. Uh, but I've found most often that um, that just wishing people well, whether whether or not they've been benevolent to you, is is a very healthy thing. And I do believe that it's what God would have us to do. Um, but uh, but just as a whole, it, it's hard to do that sometimes. But uh, ultimately, it's a better thing. Asking God to forgive them. Because they know not what they do, for example. Oh, that's a good example. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's the, the example we'll go out on. Uh, so, Reed, we're going to say goodbye to you, but not for long. Oh, wow. You're going to be on yeah. next week's episode as this well. Is, this is amazing. This is, this, is, this is the power of the intranet. <laughs> what a delightful surprise. Oh, wow. Uh, so, but in the meantime, um, everybody, you can uh, get us at morethanonelesson.com. There's a, a, a number of new uh, blogs that you can read some of them written by uh, by read here exciting um, yeah very it is very exciting New content's always exciting i agree it's because there's not very much on that site very often <laughs> so um and then uh yeah and then if you have any uh, questions or comments you can email me tyler at more than one lesson.com you can email josh josh at more than one lesson.com you can follow me on twitter at more lessons you can follow josh at the josh long at the josh long you can join our facebook group as well uh read where can people find you online? Anywhere? Well, I am on Twitter. I okay. tweet about maybe once a month. It's okay. at Reed Lackey. Um, just all one word, Reed, R-E-E-D. Um, and, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, that's that's about the best place to try to reach me is on Twitter. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank you. It was a real pleasure. All right. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here, as always. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Why can't you be more like Reed? Okay. <laughs> be honored that you're I'm here. I'm honored to be here. There we go. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll get you next time. <laughs>